When Pastor Joey was talking about, uh, we're actually praying during the offering and about God being so good and being thankful for all the things that God blesses us with. One of the things that I want to encourage you to be thankful for is friendship. I never imagined that when we met the Dersos about 40 years ago now, that God would take us on the most incredible journey together. Uh, my life, and I know I can say this for my wife, has been forever changed spiritually for the positive because of this precious couple. They are our best friends. They're also my pastors. And I'm uh, so grateful that we were able to work out back in January for them to be here uh, with us uh, this weekend. And what a great weekend has been so far. And he's going to cap it off uh, by sharing God's word with us this morning. Come on, put your hands together and welcome Pastor Dursa. He's still telling me what to do, notice that. <laughs> Jason, where are you? Jason, where are you? Good, can you come up here quick, real please? I'll find out if I'm still Pastor Paniagua's friend. <laughs> through it all, through it all. Could you play that? Just, just play it, just the melody, just through it all. Um, New York and Chicago is very similar. And uh, I know whenever I get behind the pulpit in our church, I look at all the people like all of you when you look so handsome and you look so good, but oftentimes there's things going on in our lives. And when we were singing that song, it's one thing to sing it, it's another thing to believe it. That through it all, God, through it all, I know you're going to bring me through. And I'm thinking of Susan sitting up in the front, Jason's wife, and I'm thinking about Pastor Paniagra, and you know the ordeal he's been through. I'm going to ask uh, Yvonne and my wife to lay their hands on Susan, maybe Pastor Joey, and the armor bearer there can lay your hands on Pastor Paniago. Anybody else that, I mean, you're going through something and you need God to help you, just lift up one hand. No, you know what? Stand. Stand. Come on, just stand. Stand. Don't be ashamed. Just stand. Just stand. God knows it. He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows exactly what you're going through. God, we're in your house. This is your day. We're your people. And you told us to enter your gates with thanksgiving and to come into your courts with praise, which positions us, oh God, for the blessings that come from our King. And so, God, for everyone that's standing, for everyone, oh God, has risen out of their seat because they need you. And we declare that with God, through it all, Lord, we're going to look to you. Through it all, we know you're going to get us through. For Susan and Pastor Paniagra, we're going to believe you for the miraculous. We're going to believe you for the signs and wonders. Because you still do miracles, oh God. You're still miracle-working, God. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You have not changed. So for every situation, make a way. Make a way, make a way, make a way. You're the way maker. Split the sea if you have to, oh God. Speak peace to the storm. Speak peace to the storm. Every name has to bow to the name of Jesus. 
Every sickness, every trouble, every difficulty, every challenge has to bow in the name of Jesus. And so God, we lift up that name, that name that's above every name. And in the name of Jesus, we're asking you, oh God, to make a way to do the miraculous, to do what we can't do for ourselves. Do it, God. Do it for your daughters. Do it for your sons. Do it today. Let today be that mountain-moving day, that miraculous Lord's Day that we see the breakthrough. That we see the breakthrough. And we'll be careful to give you and you alone all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. In Christ's name. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Come on, let's thank him. Come on, let's thank him. Let's thank him. Come on. Let's spend the next 20 seconds just praising him and thanking him and lifting up his name. For God is good and through it all, through it all, he remains the same. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. <laughs> we tell you that we love you. We thank you, for you are faithful. Through it all, you are faithful. Again, in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen and amen and amen. Thank you, my brother. Thank you. Thank you. Well, God bless you, church. It's really good. We enjoy coming here. Of course, we love your pastor, Pastor Paniagua, Pastor Carlos, Pastor Yvonne. And um, we just celebrated 34 years of our church on Mother's Day. Don't ask me why we started on Mother's Day. I don't know. I would never start a church on Mother's Day again, but we did, uh, which goes to show you we didn't know what we were doing, and we still don't really know what we're doing. But those 34 years have been great for us, and I want you to know it's your pastors that helped build that church. Whatever Christ Tabernacle is today is a direct result of their faithfulness and their commitment and their love and their preaching and their praying. So uh, we're indebted to them, and you need to be grateful for Pastor Carlos and Pastor Vanya. Pastor Ivan. Amen. Amen. And thank God for your worship team. Come on, that just doesn't happen. Come on. Yeah. And Adorn, I love those scriptures that that young lady gave. That was really great. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that. And uh, yeah, God is very much in the embellishments. When you think about the temple that he had built, he definitely wasn't pulling back on embellishments. Um, I want to share with you a concern. You don't have this here in Chicago, but in New York, we got a lot of issues. And so I want to share a concern that I was addressing in our church. Um, because I, I, I know that you guys, family of God, you do great work with missions. And we believe that, you know, when you're, Jesus' heart was about missions. It was always about sending people out. And when I think of missions for a long time, I always thought about, of course, going overseas. Uh, Pastor Carlos and I, we've been on mission trips together. And I, we're still for that. I know you're for that. But there's a mission right around your church and where you live. We're all missionaries. The Bible says that we're all ambassadors. When you put your faith in Christ, the Bible says that we're all ministers. Second Corinthians. And so we have a mission here. You have a mission here. And there are plenty of people that we all know that need Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, money's fine, houses, cars, families, that's all great, but that doesn't get you into heaven. I'm going to spend eternity, and it's only Jesus that can do that. So, you know, we, I, I want to encourage you to about be mission conscious because uh, Jesus is, if you were to say what was um, the brand of Jesus, you would have to say compassion. Yes. 
compassionate, because he loved all people. He did. For God so loved the world, the world. And um, that was Jesus' mission. And we believe, and we've been saying this, every saint has a past, and every sinner has a future. A Catholic monk said that back in the 300 AD, St. Augustine. Every saint has a past, every sin has a future, which gives us all hope. That, yeah, we got some things in the background, some things, some baggage we're carrying, but God has a future for us. He has a plan for all of us, and it's not to harm us, it's to prosper us. It's to cause us to go ahead and have a future. And um, our, our mission has to be that God has appointed us to reach not only the people overseas, but the people around us, where we live, where we work, the schools that we go to. And um, I want to encourage you with this, that some people may argue faith with you in Christianity. The Bible says don't argue with anybody. You might win an argument, but you'll lose the, 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 the saint or the person. But you don't have to argue. You just have to say what God did in your life. Remember the blind guy in John, the Gospel of John? All those educated people were trying to understand how a, a man born blind could see. And he simply said, look, once I was blind, and now I can see. And Jesus did it. And, and, and our mission statement should just be to tell God what he's done in our lives. And, and, and it's as simple as that. And someone can argue with you, but you don't have to argue. You can just say what God happened, and that's the truth. You've already won the argument. And uh, I want us to understand uh, that God is for all people. And there might be an area in our lives where maybe we just struggle with that because there's certain people that maybe irritate us a, a certain way, and so we don't even put them on our mission list. You, you ever notice this, this? Again, this doesn't happen in Chicago, but... When you're driving a car, the person driving in front of you and is going real slow is a jerk. Right? You ever notice that? That person is definitely a jerk. We're never thinking that maybe they're lost or maybe they're a little insecure or maybe they're looking for an address. The fact that they're going slower and they're holding us up, they're a jerk. And on the other hand, the guy that's driving real fast, he's a maniac. So, like, you know, we, we always have these opinions of people around us because we judge people by what we see and what we think at the moment. And uh, we, we justify ourselves. But the bottom line is, guys, all of us, all of us have a fallen nature, have a fallen nature. And uh, we can condemn people without really knowing anything about them. And it's called preconceived judgment. And uh, we're prone to judge others by their outward characteristics or by their culture or by their behavior. Rather, just an ex rather than accepting individuals that God loves. That kind of just boils it right down to, um, you know, helping us understand that you know, we may not agree with certain people's behavior or presentation, but God loves them regardless. And, um, and I, I, I want to address the fact that there might be some preconceived judgment in us so that we can go to God and ask God to help us um, so that we can be free from some prejudices that might be embedded in us that we never even thought about uh, before. And so my text it comes from the book of Acts, and uh, it's from Acts 10. And it happens to be the longest chapter in the book of Acts. And I can understand why, because uh, there needs to be some help here when it comes to this area. And the backdrop, let me give you the backdrop. The Apostle Peter is staying at a home in, in a town called Joppa. And uh, the, the, the home is uh, owned by a man named Simon, like Simon Peter's name. Um, and he was a tanner. A tanner is someone that skins animals and then sells the skins for bags, for, uh, for tents, for clothing. And he's staying there. Now, 30 miles north of Joppa is a city called Caesarea. And that's a Gentile city. Joppa is a Jewish city. Uh, Caesarea is a Gentile city. It's controlled by the Romans. And, you know, uh, to the Jews in, that, in, the, in the Bible days, the Romans were uncircumcised heathens. 
they were immoral, they worshiped multiple gods, uh, they were idol worshipers, and the Jews just hated them. Now, in Caesarea lives this Roman centurion named Cornelius. And Cornelius is a centurion which is self-explanatory. He was over 100 men. He had his family with him. And so he was someone that was um, considered of authority in Caesarea. And I want to read to you now, beginning in the book of Acts 10. We won't read the whole chapter. Some of you are saying, thank God. But we'll, start, we'll go to verse 3. Let's go to verse 3. It says this. One day at about 3 in the afternoon, he, meaning uh, Cornelius, he had a vision. And he, he distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius? Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now, send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon, the tanner, whose house is by the sea. You know what? Let, let's go back to verse, let's go back to verse Five. Go back to verse 5. L look at that verse carefully. Now send men, remember this is the angel of the Lord speaking to Cornelius, a Roman centurion. He says, send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. Look up here for a moment. Do you see how precise God is? He, he, tells, he tells Cornelius who has some understanding of God, but he's not really a believer. He tells him to send men, send some of your servants to the town called Joppa, 30 miles away, but he knows exactly the town to send these men. And then he says to bring back a man named Simon, who's called Peter. He doesn't know Peter's only one name. He knows both their names. And then he says to them, he's staying at a, at a house uh, by a man named Simon, whose occupation is a tanner, whose house is by the sea. Guys, do you realize how precise God is in our lives? He knows everything about us. And I'm so glad you're in church today. But I want to ask this question. Could you close your eyes and bow your heads for a moment? I'm just wondering, before I go on, if there's anyone here that would say, you know what, Pastor Durso, I, I have to be honest with God. I have to be honest with you. I'm not where I should be with God. I came here today, someone invited me, or I felt like I needed to go, but I know I'm not in the right place with God. I, I, I want to take fear away from you as you just sit there with your eyes closed. God didn't come to judge. God came to save. In fact, the very first question, the very first question in the scriptures is God saying to Adam, Adam, where are you? And God knew where Adam was. God wanted Adam to recognize he was not in the place where he should be. So before we go on, is there anyone that would say, hey, Pastor Durso, would you just remember me in prayer because I'm not where I should be with God? If that's you, I've asked people to close their eyes and bow their heads. Would you just lift up one hand and put it down? Just lift it up. Yeah, that's good. Don't be ashamed. Good. Good for you. God bless you. Put it up. Put it down. Put it down. Lord, I thank you for every hand that went up. I thank you that you don't treat us as our sins deserve. I thank you that you're on a... Seek and save mission. You're out to search for us, and you'll do whatever, whatever they do, to, just like what you were doing here with this Cornelius. So, God, I pray for every hand that went up, that you would reassure them that you're for them and not against them, that you know them by name, and you brought them here so that you can reconcile with them and that they can reconcile with you and they could be in the right place with you. And I pray that you bless them, and I pray you use them. 
Raise them up. Every saint has a past. Every sinner has a future. Raise them up and cause them to be mighty men and women of God. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, all of you that raised your hand, somewhere today, either come up to Pastor Paniago or Pastor Ivan, come up to Pastor um, Joey or whoever some of the leaders are, and just, hey, look, I raised my hand, and maybe they could just help you with your journey. Because we all need help. We can't do this alone. But thank you for raising your hand. All right, let's get back to the story here. Uh, we know that God tells Cornelius all about what he's supposed to do and send some men. And uh, Cornelius, like I said, we don't know how much of a believer he is. We, I mean, it was God-fearing, but what did that mean? I mean, he was a Roman, um, and, uh, and uh, you know, he was generous, which is great, in, great indications of where he was at. But, you know, did he pray did loud? Did he get on his knees? Did he, did he read the scriptures? We don't know anything like that. But God knew God wanted to do something in his life, in his family life. Well, on the following day, after Cornelius sends his uh, uh, soldier and two servants to go get uh, Peter. The following day, Peter gets a vision. And this is in Acts 10, same chapter, starting with verse 9. It says, And about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven open and something like a large sheep being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to Peter a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And this happened three times, and immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. In this sheet that rolled out in front of Peter um, had animals that any self-respecting Jew would never eat, would never consume. Reptiles, four-footed animals, uh, birds. There were things that were uh, prohibited in the Le Levitical dietary laws to a Jew. And uh, yet it tells us in verse 13, God tells Peter to get up and eat. So obviously Peter wasn't a vegan. But anyway, um, that was a joke. You missed it, but you know, come back to it later. Um, Peter was a Jew. Peter was raised in an Orthodox Jewish home. Peter's wife was Jewish. Peter's parents were Jewish. They abided by the Jewish dietary laws. And, um, you know, as far as Christians, the, the world doesn't know Christians yet because that hasn't happened. That happens later on in, in Acts uh, 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 11 when they start calling the Christians, the Jews or believers Christians in Antioch. But Peter is still a Jew who believed in Jesus. And um, this was just something that he would never touch, he would never do. And uh, it tells us in Acts 10, 15, where twice God said, don't call anything impure that God has made clean. Once would have been enough. But God had to reiterate because Peter had this religious correction that he wasn't going to ever defile himself by eating something that was impure. And in fact, verse 16 says, this happened three times. So if you can use your sanctified imagination, three times God rolls out this big sheet. Let's say like the screens are, rolls down these big sheets and in the, the, on the screens or in the sheet were these things that were not permitted to eat. But God does it three times, three times, not once, three times. And as Peter is processing this, 
the, the meaning of what all this means. And it so just kind of conflicts with how he was trained, how he was raised, what he thought about all his life. Uh, there's a, a knock on the door or there's a, a noise outside back. It was a gate that they actually came to, which probably implied that the house was large. Um, it was probably a villa, being that he was a Roman centurion. And um, he hears this, uh, this uh, knock and these men coming. And God says, Peter, go down. Go down and, and welcome them and, and bring them in. This was huge, guys. This, we read it very simply, but this was huge. This was just coming against everything Peter knew was raised about. This was, this was prejudice. This was biased. He was not liking Romans. He didn't like Gentiles. Um, it's safe to say they hated each other. Uh, they wouldn't talk to one another. They wouldn't look at one another. Um, some of us that come from Manhattan, I don't know if you have a district or an area here in Chicago, but in New York there are areas uh, like on Eastern Parkway where there's a lot of concentrated Orthodox Jews. And, um, and uh, God bless them, but they won't look at you. You greet them in the elevator, say hi, they won't answer you. They have their own ambulance service. They have their own police service. They're, they're within themselves. And, and, and that's, that's the kind of mentality that Peter had. This was a Gentile. This was a, Rome, a Roman. Besides, he was a Roman. I mean, Romans killed his master. Peter saw what the Romans did to Jesus. Peter saw them slapping him, spitting on him, putting a crown of thorns on his head, uh, whipping him, then nailing him to a cross naked. Peter saw all that. So there was such hatred towards Romans, towards Gentiles. And why would Peter ever want to do anything with a Roman? And the, the chapter goes on to tell us that the Gentiles uh, come there and they want Peter to come back to Cornelius' house when you read the whole chapter so that Cornelius and his family could hear what Peter has been saying. Word has probably gotten around that, you know, there's this Peter, this, this guy talking about this Jewish Messiah, and obviously Cornelius, uh, by God, was interested in what was happening. And so Peter goes to, walks the 30 miles to Cornelius' house and um, starts telling Cornelius about what Jesus did for him. And what Jesus was about, and that they was crucified, though he rose on the third day. What any of us would tell somebody if someone began to ask you about your faith. And what's interesting is when you read the chapter, you find that while Peter was still speaking, all of a sudden the presence of God fell, just like we felt a moment ago when, when we were singing and do, doing worship. The presence of God fell so much that Cornelius, not Peter, not Peter's friends who traveled with him, but Cornelius and his family and whoever else was in that house that day, all of a sudden began to praise God, got filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in tongues. There was this, a spiritual phenomenon going on in that home while he was still speaking. They're worshiping and praising God, and, and, and they end up accepting the Lord as their Savior, and they get baptized, which, please, ladies and gentlemen, if you've accepted Christ and you haven't been baptized, you need to get baptized. That, that's just what Jesus said. Those that believe should be baptized. And the more you postpone and procrastinate, it's just more difficult for you. You're ready. The moment you accept Christ, you need to be baptized. Well, that's what happened in this house. They just said, look, baptize us. Maybe they had a fount outside or however they might have done it. But they just immediately um, got baptized. And, and, and I, I don't know, using my sanctified imagination, I was wondering what was going through the mind of Peter and his companions when they saw all this. Because remember, these were Gentiles. These were Romans. There was such a deep-rooted prejudice towards these people. And now God is using them. So here's my question for us today. What would be in the sheet that God would roll down in front of us? If we were having our private time, not as a church collectively, but our private time, 
up on a roof, maybe wherever you spend your time with the Lord in the morning or whatever time that is, all of a sudden God rolls down a sheet in front of What would be in that sheet? What preconceived judgment, what bias, what prejudice would be in, 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 in that sheet that you'd have to deal with? Um, again, Cornelius, I would imagine, being a Roman centurion, a Roman officer, uh, and the way that they lived, I'm sure he had a villa compared to the other homes that most of the Jews had were very simple homes. Uh, I, I, I wonder if sometimes there's a prejudice towards people that have money. You know, we see the car that they drive, the house that they live in, and we get annoyed because we don't have that. Or maybe for some of us, we get annoyed with people that don't have money, people that are poor, and we kind of blame them for being poor. And we have all these uh, things going on in our mind as to why they're, we, we prejudge them. And, uh, you know, we don't have any significant information as to why they are where they are, but we, we prejudge them. Um, in our worship, I, I love our worship. I'm our, I'm including me with you, uh, because just the way we worship here, you worship here, we worship in Christ's tabernacle. But suppose you go to a church where they don't worship as demonstrative as you. They don't sing the same songs. Do you judge them? Do you, do you think that they're not as spiritual as you because they might, be a little, they might not be as demonstrative. They might be a little more laid back or a little bit more conservative. You know what? On a side note, never make fun of anybody's worship. If they're worshiping Jesus, Leave it alone. They're worshiping Jesus. Do you remember the story in 2 Samuel 6 when David's wife, Michael, made fun of David worshiping? And it says that she was barren for the rest of her life. She had no life. When you make fun or ridicule someone else's worship, you grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings life. If there's no Holy Spirit, it might be that why we're not seeing the miracles in our lives that we're seeing. Because it's the spirit that gives life. So you never want to make fun of anybody's worship. But, you know, we get, you, I love our worship. I love what we do. I, I, I don't want to be in a, in a church where maybe it's slower, but I'm not going to make fun of it because if that's what they do and they're worshiping Jesus, then that has to be okay. I can't be prejudiced towards the way someone worships. Or maybe, maybe they're a step above where we are. Maybe they're running around the church and they're swinging from the chandeliers. I'm too old to swing from a chandelier. But, um, but that's what they do, and they love Jesus. And I need to leave that with Jesus. Um, or, 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 you know what? I have no problem with this. It's funny. I, we're non-denominational, which at this point now, that's a denomination. You're a non-denominational. Make sure the denomination. So it's a matter of semantics, right? Um, but um, there are so many different denominations in, the, in, in, the, in Christendom today, and I'm fine with that. I have no problem with that. It's, it's a way we can identify ourselves, right? Um, but, but we never should think one denomination is better than the other. There's a story in, in, in the book of Mark, and um, John, the apostle John, goes to Jesus, Mark 9, and says, there's a guy over here casting out demons in your name. Should we stop him? Because he's not one of us. You know, as believers, we can get a not one of us in our minds and feel because somebody's different, or maybe we don't like their personality or their style, we kind of feel they're not one of us. God has one church. One body, one Holy Spirit, one baptism. One, and we need to be really careful that we don't allow these. I mean, j listen, John, think about this. John had, past, had, had Jesus Christ as his pastor, and he had this thing in him. Oh, they're not one of us. I'm going to stop them. He's casting out demons in Jesus' name. Jesus said if he's for us, he can't be against us. And sometimes denominations get in the way and, and, and they cause us to have prejudices and bias towards another within the body of Christ, and that's so crazy. Um, you know, there's a, there was a time, some of you probably are too young 
uh, or not old enough to remember, but there was a time that if you went to a movie or a bowling alley, you were going right to hell. Oh, yeah, fast track, easy pass, right to hell. You, you went to a what? You saw a movie? Yeah, but it was Walt Disney, Bambi. What's wrong with that? No, it's a movie. You're in a movie theater, and that's, that's the devil's place. And that was a, that was a concept at one point. And uh, it's, it's crazy. And we can have, you know, these kind of preconceived ideas, judgments, prejudices towards people because of the color of their skin, because of their culture, where they come from, their language. Um, Pastor Paniagua and I, do you call him Pastor Carlos or Pastor Paniagua? Carlos. Okay, well, I've been doing this for 40 years, so I'm sorry. You're going to have to just give me grace. <laughs> Pastor Paniagua and I, we've, we, we've gone to Haiti, and you know, we've made multiple trips to Haiti. And what's amazing, in Haiti, among the Haitians, the lighter-skinned Haitians think they're superior to the darker-skinned Haitians. So it's, 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 it's innate in us. There's something that we have to come to terms with and go to God and say, God, you know what? Uh, this, is not, this is not good in me. This is not something that I, I want in me. There was a time, um, and maybe still in some churches today, where if a woman wore pants, she was judged. Color of her hair. She dyed her hair. She's wearing makeup. Um, and they get judged, and they can't be really a believer because of, of the way they're dressed. Uh, sometimes we hear about someone's ungodly past, and we kind of push back from them because of their past. Every, every saint has a past. Every saint has a past. Every saint has a past, but every sinner has a future. And we can get prejudiced on someone because we heard, well, they were in jail, or they were drug addicts, or they were divorced. My wife and I, I think you know our story, um, we were both divorcees, and then through the clubs and the drugs, we met one another, we moved in with one another, and then someone invited us to a church in September 1975, and we went, and we got radically saved. And I'd never been in a church like this kind of worship before, but I knew that if I was to die that night, I was going to go to hell, and Marie and I went up to an altar and accepted Christ. I didn't even know what that was, what that meant, but we did, and then uh, they were having baptism, so we came back, well, we're going to get baptized. And I was baptized as a baby when I was a kid, you know, a child. But now this is baptism, they explained that. So my wife and I went back, and we told them our story that we were divorcees, and then we moved in together, and we, had, we did drugs, we had reckless living, but we got saved because our friends prayed for us, but they wouldn't baptize us. Because divorce at one point was the unpardonable sin. To some, it still is. But God died for all sins. There's not one sin that's worse than the other. In fact, I remember one time my wife, Maria, reminded me of this, um, that uh, Pastor Carlos um, <laughs> has uh, been invited to teach these classes where they would bring in pastors to teach certain classes to, to congregants like this. And uh, I was one of this team. There was three pastors teaching three different classes. And uh, one of the pastors said in his class, he believed that no one that's ever been divorced could ever be used by God. Now, he said that in a room where people knew Maria and I. In fact, I was in the next room teaching this class, another class. And so some of the people in the class said to him, hey, brother, do you know Michael Durso's next door, and he's being used, and he has a great church, and he was divorced. And, and the brother was a little taken back, and he came and apologized, and that was great. But he was raised in a culture that taught him divorced people could never be used by God. And, and, and some of this stuff happens, we don't even realize it, we're, we're inheriting it from the way maybe our parents or our grandparents were raised, and we take their theology, and now we have this prejudice or this wall up towards either people because of their lifestyle or something that may have happened in the past, and, and, and we just take it in. Right. 
We don't even, we don't even challenge it because of who it's came from. We might, we might have some of our issues, our prejudices, our bias because what our family told us. You know, and we would never thought about it ourselves, but because we heard it around the kitchen table so much or in the living room that it just became part of our philosophy. Or maybe, maybe you've been hurt. You felt the injustice of a certain people group. And so you're, you're angry towards them because of that. And, you know, and, and that's a horrible thing, and I understand that. But God wants to use us to reach all people. For God so loved the world. The world. God does not like the choices the world makes too many times, but God still loves the world. And we got to love the world. We might not like the choices that they make. We might not approve them. We might not accept them, but we're going to love them so that Jesus can save them. And, 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 and the apostle Peter, you know, he, he went on. That was, a, that was a huge decision for him to make, to go down to those Gentiles and invite them in the house and then walk 30 miles to Cornelius. That was huge. Because remember, they were dogs. Dogs. They were heathens. They were ungodly. Um, let, let, me, let, me, let me be an agitator here. Uh, what happens when you see somebody smoking? Cigar, cigarette, pipe, somebody drinking a bottle of beer. How do you feel towards that person? Um, how do you feel about that person went to your church? You know, what, 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 what would you think about that person? You probably know this, but Charles Spurman and Charles Spurgeon and J. Campbell Morgan, great preachers, huge churches, especially Spurgeon, um, uh, the Metropolitan Church Tabernacle in England, spoke to thousands of people. They were cigar smokers. That was their habit. They, they enjoyed a cigar after a sermon. Jonathan Edwards, who was responsible for the first great American awakening, smoked a pipe. Um, C.S. Lewis, pretty contemporary. Martin Luther Jones, Martin, Martin Lloyd Jones, Smoked cigarettes. Now, I'm not advocating to smoke. I don't smoke because I want to kiss Maria all the time and I don't want my breath to stink. <laughs> but, um, but these were great men of God used, and yet they, they, they smoked. Um, there's a, a lot of churches that have no problem with someone having a beer or a glass of wine. I got a text this morning from someone that um, I work with. He's in uh, Ireland. And uh, he was telling me it was cold and, and damp and dreary. And he says, and after church, everybody goes to the pub. There are churches in, in London and uh, mostly Italy and, 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 and France where they'll have wine with their dinner. And, and how do I judge that? Because I abstain from that. How do, how do I view it? Do I judge them? Do I feel they're less than? You know, we, we go through some of these things. We put us tattoos, body piercing, long hair, no hair, shoes, no shoes. I mean, you know, we, we can judge people by what we see on them, and yet God loves them. And how's God going to use us to reach all people, if we got all these preconceived, prejudgmental ideas in our head, God wants to rid us of those things. And I'm not advocating for you to smoke. Don't go after church, oh, Pastor Paniago, Pastor Joseph said we should smoke and drink beer. I'm not saying that. I'm, not, I'm just saying I know what goes in my heart. And you know what's so crazy? When I think of where Marie and I came from, we, we should never judge anybody. We were, we were reckless in everything we did. And so now, because we've been serving the Lord now 44 years, I'm better than them because styles have changed and think people look different and we're so quick to judge and uh, things that we don't approve of and it prevents ourselves from being those local missionaries that God wants us to be. That guy on the job, that kid in the school, that neighbor next door, that's who God wants you to reach. God wants us to reach those people. 
And, um, you know, Peter, because of his upbringing, he was religiously correct to think the way he was thinking. But thank God, obviously, the Holy Spirit convinced him, you need to go there. You need to go to those heathen dogs because I have a message. I want to save them. And um, imagine if he would have said, no, I'm not going because I'm a Jew and I know what Leviticus says and I'm not going to. Can you imagine if he said that? He would have missed out on the outpouring of the Holy Spirit where a whole family got saved, where God opened the door for the gospel to get to the Gentiles. I wonder how many times we might have missed out because we refused to go reach someone because we look at them on their outward appearance or maybe the way they act and God wanted to save them and he wanted to use us to do it. Come on, there's no better, no better feeling to know when God uses you to save someone or lead someone to Jesus. And we have to ask God, God, you got to rid us of this stuff. I mean, think about Jesus' last words in Matthew 28, Mark 16, Acts 1-8. Go and make disciples of all people. All people. All people. Jesus, Jesus knows some of the choices people make today. He knows about the divorcees. He knows about the body piercings. He knows about the young. He knows about the old. He knows about the wealthy. He knows about the poor. He knows about people with political views. He still wants all people to be saved. And I'm not condoning sin. I'm not saying that we should, you know, be light on sin. I'm just saying we need to be careful that we know what the Bible says is sin and we don't get caught up in our traditions or our culture or how we perceive things, the lens we look at it so that we can be used. And, you know, you hear a lot today in politics about, um, you know, uh, my colleagues across the aisle. And you know today nobody's crossing the aisle. I mean, there's such hatred and bitterness and anger in our leaders well, you know, in the church, there's an aisle. And too often, sometimes, we won't cross the aisle to somebody else because of the way they look or the way they act or the way they sing or the way they pray or the way they stand or the way they dress. And all these cultural, you know, styles just hinder us from being the, the very one that God wants to use to reach people. And I, I don't know the stats on Chicago, but I think you're very similar to New York. There are all kinds of people in our city. All kinds of people in our city. Different, different backgrounds, cultures, races. And we have to be, be one of those ones that just love God and let the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 16, the Holy Spirit will convict people of sin. It's not our job to convict people of sin. We're just supposed to lead them to Jesus and let Jesus do what only Jesus could do. And I thought about this. Uh, and um, I'm sorry, brother, could you come back up and help me, please? Um, if you remember, in Acts 8, there was a revival in Samaria that God used Philip. Now, this is not the Philip that was one of the apostles. This was another Philip. This was one of the first deacons. Eventually, he's known as Philip the Evangelist. And the Bible tells us in 840 that Philip was in Caesarea. And I was thinking about, well, Philip, who was used to bring revival, um, was in Caesarea. Why did God send the message to Peter to walk 30 miles to Cornelius' house, my opinion, just my opinion. I believe Philip didn't have the issues Peter had. Peter had issues. Peter had issues with racism. Peter had issues with being bigotry or, bigotry or being biased. And so God had to use Peter. He didn't need to use Philip because that wasn't an issue for, for Philip. And I, I, I began to think about this. You know, prejudice is rooted in pride. Because we think we're better than that person in some way, matter, shape, or form. And you know what? Um, if God says he hates something, you want to stay away from it. 
In Proverbs 6, God says he hates haughty looks, prideful looks. In the book of James, in the book of 1 Peter, it says God opposes the proud. If God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, don't, wouldn't you agree with me that we should all stay humble and not be proudful and judge people by the way they look or the way they act or where they come from? And uh, uh, I, I want God to use me no matter who it might be, what gender, what age, what race, what kind of styles they may have. And, and you know, sometimes people won't agree with you. When you read the next chapter, Acts 11, uh, the Jewish leaders called Peter to account. And they said, we heard that you went into a Gentile's house. How could you do that? Because remember, the whole church was Jewish at the time. And he began to say, well, guys, listen, this is what happened. And, and, and obviously God was in it and they got convicted and they began to rejoice because people got saved. Gentiles, Roman heathens got saved. But you know what? Preconceived judgment, bigotry, bias is very subtle. And it's very sneaky. And if we're not on God, it can seep right into us. I mean, this is a multiracial church, just like Christ's tabernacle. But even in our multiracial, multigenerational church, you can gear towards one race or one gender and ignore the rest. That's how subtle this is, right in church. Um, Peter, when he went to Cornelius' house, uh, that was around 39 AD. Well, 10 years later, 49 AD, the apostle Paul writes to the church at Galatia. And he says in the chapter two, I had to rebuke Peter to his face because Peter would eat with the Gentiles until the circumcised group, meaning the Jews, came up from Jerusalem. And then he separated himself from the Gentiles. This is 10 years after he had that incredible experience in Cornelius' house. This is Peter who gets all these revelations. And it even says, and he even led Barnabas astray. So guys, you realize that our prejudgmental attitudes, our bigotry, our bias could cause other people to go astray. That's why it's so, we have to be so careful to watch what we do and watch what we say and ask God, God, I want you to cleanse me. I want, I want you to use me to all people. I don't care what color they are. I don't care how wealthy. I don't care where they live. I don't care what they look like. I don't care how they talk. Do they come from the country? Do they come from the city? Do they come from Chicago? Do they come from Nebraska? It doesn't really matter. God, I want you to use me. I'd like you to stand and pray. I'm going to ask my wife to pray. But here's what I'd like to do first. I asked my brother to prepare this song. And I want us to sing this song because we need to call to the Lord because only God could do this, guys. Only God can change the way we think. Only God can give us a, a different paradigm on how we see things so that we can be servants of the Most High God like never before. This church needs to be open to all 